welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. We are at the beginning of the whole MCU train, and we are looking at John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. Joining me today, we have Eric Deutsch from the Escape from New York Minute. Welcome. Thank you. So excited to be on your show, Andy. It's going to be a fun one. We've got uh, a good week to talk about, uh, some good set of minutes. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a very uh, Jeff Bridges heavy minute, uh, a week, I mean. (laughs) Yes, yes. We like our Jeff Bridges over here. Um, we are looking at uh, minute 96 of Iron Man today. On today's show, the minute starts with Obadiah interrupting his secret engineers, and it ends with Tony checking his phone to see that Pepper is calling him. Technically, the minute starts with a few frames of the final of the final scene when Jeff Bridges is kind of uh, standing on the, uh, the, the balcony, the platform in the building, overlooking Pepper walking away with Agent Coulson. But, I mean, you know, it's hardly worth talking about because it's like <laughs> just a couple of frames. We really kick it off with a shot of the engineers. We're back in the, uh, the big arc reactor lab, I guess we're calling it. As uh, Jeff Bridges comes storming through the door on the far side of the room and then just kind of beelines for the scientists uh, standing up at the platform. And of course, we have the main focus of our attention with the scientists is uh, on the phone and uh, kind of gets the hint from the other scientists that somebody's coming, gets off the phone quickly and uh, proceeds to have a conversation with Obadiah. Yeah, uh, it's just like an overall, uh, before we even get into like the specifics of the scene, just as a whole, I mean, Jeff Bridges just, he's so good in this minute. He just commands the whole minute, the way he just storms in and clearly and calmly menaces everybody and then explodes. It's just a great acting minute for him. It's so fun watching everything that's going on with him in this minute because you're right. He's got this this kind of this uh, this burning subterfuge inside of him as he's just kind of storming across. I mean, he clearly has an intention right now, and he's he's going to figure out what the heck is taking these scientists so long. Uh, even the way he like flings open the little uh, you know that little gate that uh, the kind of I don't know what you call those little like half gate thing that just kind of uh you know keeps people from getting too close to the to the arc reactor uh he's just i mean he's great it's it's very um very much the antagonist side of jeff bridges that uh, i always enjoy watching yeah absolutely um he um jumps up onto the platform and starts talking to our our head i guess we'll call him the head secret scientist uh, this is of course peter billingsley and uh we love uh, good old peter billingsley it's great to see him pop up in here uh were you a fan of peter billingsley as a kid peter billingsley the the um the guy from a christmas story yeah that's him that's peter Okay, so <laughs> I did not look into the actor in this scene, and you're completely blowing my mind right now that that's Peter Billingsley. It's well, and they. It, what's great is he's buddies with John Favreau. Okay, and uh, they. Uh, I think that he produced uh, Made with uh, Favreau, uh-huh. and um, ended up directing Couples Retreat that uh, that Favreau and Vince Vaughn were in together. And so, yeah, he's just kind of been in the circles, and and he actually is on this film not just as uh, as this actor. The, the character that he's playing here is William Ginter Riva. I'm not sure where they came up with that name, but uh, that's his name. But then he's uh, also an executive producer on the film. And wow. So, uh, yes. In, in answer to your question, yes, uh, I 
was a big fan of his as a kid. I, I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. I watched A Christmas Story incessantly as, uh, as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably still every Christmas. I, it's still on in my oh, house every yeah, Christmas. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny to see him pop up in this. Oh, and he was an elf also. He was uh, one of the elves that uh, was in charge of the toys when Buddy the Elf keeps breaking things. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's definitely kind of uh, deep in the Favreau circles. They're, they're buddies, which is great. We do, I don't know if you've uh, heard on some past episodes, but I do this little IMDb game yes. with our guests. Um, are you uh, are you familiar with it? Are you feeling like you could do it with Peter Billingsley? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a loyal listener of the show. Absolutely. I know the game. Yep. <laughs> if you had to guess, what four films would IMDb have as the films that it says Peter Billingsley is known for? Well, if A Christmas Story isn't one of the four, then their algorithm <laughs> is really messed up. <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be a mess? <laughs> um, I would imagine his role's not big enough for this movie to be counted. I don't really know how the IMDb algorithm works, but his role seems way too small for that to show up. Although I, I'm, I'm, the movie itself is huge. Right, right. I'm, uh, I mean, Elf makes sense, although I haven't seen that movie in so long. I don't know how big his role was in that either to know if that hits. Gee, what other movie would I've even seen him? <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> I can the name dirt a fourth bike movie. Kid? Did, Which did one? You see that? The Dirt Bike Kid. <laughs> no, I missed that, that one. That was the other one that I watched all the time with him <laughs> when I was a kid. That came out a couple years after Christmas Story. But it is not, that is not one of his. And actually, I, I you know, it's not just um, what they're known for as far as acting. So Iron Man is, in fact, one ah, of the films okay. that's on here. And I think largely it is because of his producing okay. um, side of that. And actually, if you look at uh, the other three, other than A Christmas Story, which is, of course, his number one, which it should be, um, the others are all for his producing work. So you've got Iron Man up there. You have Four Christmases, another one with um, Vince Vaughn. And then The Sacred Fire, which is something I am completely unfamiliar with. It's from 1994. Uh, he produced that, and it's a short film that he produced in 1994. A young man who appears to be a bum is approached by a young woman who recognizes him from high school. After she buys him lunch, he claims to be a hunter of psychic vampires that steal our vitality, our sacred fire, while having the appearance of drunken bums. He believes her fire to be particularly strong, making her highly at risk. Yeah, and now that you revealed the full four, so I, I felt I could now look at IMDb without ruining the game, I haven't even heard of any other other the stuff that he's been in in his career to be honest other than i mean guest appearances on tv shows but not that i would remember his specific episodes though yeah his his career it's not one that i i think largely once he kind of started producing like he, he'll do bit parts and stuff mm -hmm. but he's not doing uh anything where it's full roles because i think even in four christmases i mean he's only billed as a ticket agent the breakup as Andrew, I don't know how big of a role that was, and Ming Ming the Elf in Elf. But uh, I, I don't think that he's doing big stuff. I think largely he's focusing on the producing side of things. Mm. But uh, yes, that is uh, that is William Ginter Riva, who is the uh, the head scientist here. Good old Peter Billingsley. I'm guessing that they uh, the last name was a nod to the production designer, J. Michael Riva, or perhaps the assistant art director, Wendy Riva. I'm assuming that she is related to J. Michael Riva. But I don't know where the Ginter came from. I don't know where they came up with this name. It's not anything that's like, I looked through the Marvel Wikia to see if this was a name that popped up anywhere. And only in relation to this. So I think it's just a quirky name that they decided to go with. Yeah, I think that a character with uh, only that's only in a couple of scenes getting a, getting a, a, um, 
three names basically you know they're inc- that they yeah. include the middle name yeah, that has to be some kind of inside joke yes right i am assuming so <laughs> Uh, and then I love, we have uh, six background actors in here working as the, uh, I, I don't know, just the other scientists. I love how when they see Obadiah storming in, they all conveniently like pair up and disappear. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love it. Nobody has William's back. They all immediately turn around and walk away. I love it. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Yes. I don't know if I've ever noticed that before. Um than when watching it so many times for this uh, to prepare for this episode, um, but watching them, it just it, it just I kept chuckling at it because they just so perfectly like okay okay we're gonna go this way you guys go that way <laughs> just kind of all disappear so nicely it is fantastic yeah I think I didn't notice it till I was watching the minute the second time when I was taking my notes for this and 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 so it was. This- Oh wait, whoa, whoa! Is are they? Is this you know? Are they doing what you know? I think they're doing, and you know. So then I went back, watched that, just that small section again. I was like, oh, this is just great. That just all up. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, uh, he's here. See you later. Bye. And so I'm sure after Obadiah leaves, thanks a lot, guys. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Way to have my back. <laughs> but even before that, so you know, William's on the phone and he's he's talking to. Somebody, but like, yeah, you know, we're we're doing our best here. He's obviously not talking to Obadiah because Obadiah is storming in. We know he's not talking right. to Tony because Tony doesn't know about the secret project. So I'm just wondering who William would have been talking to. This project is a secret. Obadiah right, obviously right. wouldn't didn't want anybody knowing about this except probably the people in the room. Uh, so I'm just wondering who William is talking to there. That's a good question, and my my best guess would be. Um, because uh, this technically, this is not Sector 16, which is the, as we learned when when Pepper's looking through the files and discovers Sector 16 is is all of the stuff involving the development of the Ironmonger suit. This this is the big arc reactor room. And uh, as we will learn later in the film, when they actually go into Sector 16, Sector 16 is actually through that yellow door where Obadiah comes through. And it's it's downstairs under this room. That's okay. where all the development is. So my best guess is perhaps he's talking to some of the tech people down there as they are trying to, uh, you know, because I think they're building the suit downstairs. And these guys are up here trying to figure out how they can harness this arc reactor power to shrink it into something that's chest sized mm, that makes sense but it's uh again it's it's a wild speculation on my part <laughs> to me it also feels like actor busy work <laughs> <laughs> i'll just be on the phone it'll it'll be great it'll be great. <laughs> and, and it's a scene that ends in kind of an interesting way because i i don't know i i, I love the way that that we've already talked about this fantastic explosion that jeff bridges um has as obadiah when he's talking to to uh, william and everybody kind of disappears he's so uh focused in his uh in his frustration and anger and the way that he wraps his arm around him and yeah. everything um i love the way he flips his tie it, it, purely accidental i'm sure <laughs> I it made just the same happens note. <laughs> It is one heck of a just a, a gesture that he does, and I love that he he gets so pushy with William that William like leans backward, almost like backward over this bar, while uh, while uh, Obadiah like leans right into him. It's just it's a great moment. Yeah, the the two notes I had for that physical acting, I made the same exact note about the tie that I can't imagine that was planned, and I love that they left it in. 
Right. Uh, and that uh, uh, Peter Billingsley must have gotten some of James uh, Jeff Bridges' spittle in his face during that scene. <laughs> it just They're so close, and he's just so emoting and angry. Uh, there must have been a little bit of a spray. Yeah, right. Uh, yes, I, I think that's one of those uh, actor tricks that you end up... What movie was it? There was some movie where they're... It was kind of almost spoofing the actors and the amount of spit that they expel <laughs> when they're actually <laughs> acting and how excessive it can be sometimes. But this does seem like it would be one of those moments. <laughs> and just the way that Bridges uh, delivers the line when, you know, in a cave, and then there's that pause... With a box of scraps, I love that. There's that pause. I love the way that he phrases it. It's, it's, it's I just, I really like that line particularly. It is. It's really nice the way he breaks that up. I agree. And I, I think it's interesting. We have uh, William after after uh, Obadiah has his explosion. William says, "Well, I'm sorry. I'm not Tony Stark." And what's interesting is, and I don't, I don't know if it's intentional, but I do find it interesting. This is actually the second person in the film to actually say this. The first person being Obadiah, and this was actually back, uh, way back in the award ceremony earlier in the film, when uh, when he comes up on stage and uh, accepting the award on behalf of Tony, because of course Tony, because he's gambling, uh, did not show up to uh, to the award ceremony. And he says, I'm not Tony Stark. And uh, again, I don't know if it was a, just an intentional callback to that or some other random thing or just conveniently or happenstance, really. But I did find it interesting that just one of those weird lines that's that kind of ended up repeating. As you as you mentioned that, it, there's an interesting this is just popping in my head now that, you know, part of the issue with the, you know, that the character conflict between Obadiah and Tony is. Obadiah founded the company with Tony's father or ran the company with Tony's father. And then after Tony's father died, Obadiah sort of had to be a placeholder until Tony turned 21 and then Tony takes over. And you could almost look at it as Obadiah having a resentment of, you know, I should be in charge of this company, but I'm not Tony Stark, so I can't be in charge of this company because William saying, I'm sorry, I'm not Tony Stark, it actually diffuses the scene it, it ends it, it stops obadiah in his tracks obadiah cannot quibble or argue with the fact that this guy is not tony stark he cannot do what tony stark does and in addition obadiah is not tony stark and cannot do what tony stark does william has found his out of, of getting out of this tight situation uh, inadvertently it's brilliant the way that it works, and it's it's the nugget that Obadiah needed to figure out what his next steps were, which we're going to find out very shortly here, yes. right? But before we do, before we uh, head to the next scene, uh, there was a, a I don't I, I don't know if it's fair to call it a deleted scene. It certainly was dele- deleted, but it feels like it's more an extended version of this scene. And uh, in in kind of a different place, almost like they they decided to do some rewrites and stuff. The the scene in question is actually with Obadiah going down into the basement, which is the sub level of se- Sector Sixteen under the arc reactor. And in that deleted scene, we can see them building the Ironmonger suit. We see the the Mark One suit there as well. I uh, also love this line that William delivers: "If I can collaborate with the Total Fusion Group." Which sounds like total total actor science gobbledygook. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, it's it's an interesting scene though, and and boy does it allow uh, Obadiah to monologue. 
there's just a massive, uh, massive monologue that he has here about the stake of civilization as we know it. <laughs> yeah, a bit over the top in this deleted scene. A lot of megalomania. Um, he's, he's trying to rally his troops, and there's a lot of use of the words of our and we, sort of trying to bring these scientists into his worldview. Uh, and interestingly, the name Tony Stark is never mentioned, though, in this speech he makes. No, it's not. It's all about the company and the vision and the future and the world order. And, uh, you know, the, you know, basically it's like this rallying cry that, you know, what's at stake here is, you know, we are going to, to save civilization is really kind of what he's saying. And it's so interesting because he's really the guy who's not going to be doing that. And I'm like, this is a really good example of the bad guy selling, uh, you know, selling these people on all of his lies, and I, but I, I, I wonder. I'm like, does he know he's lying as much as he is, or is he like, is he that? Does he think he's weirdly helping by wanting to make these these suits that he can sell and use to kind of control the world? I think that in his worldview, I think that, and this is something that'll come up in one of the minutes later on this week. I think that he sees himself as somebody who is one of the few people that sees the world for what it is and only he can be the person who can save the world. I, I think that that's I think that's where the megalomania comes from. I, I think he genuinely believes what he's saying. Well and that that is an interesting angle then with Obadiah, because if Obadiah really is that where he thinks by making this super suit basically that he can control the world and fix everything. I mean it is very much kind of a an aspect of a supervillain, but in a weird way, it's also kind of a superhero angle. And I think that very much is a kind of, kind of callback to the whole who watches the watchmen thing, because if he has this power and he's quote, protecting the world order and, uh, you know, protecting civilization the way that, uh, that we need it to be preserved, it is very much, uh, you know, whose perspective are you seeing that through before you realize, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Yeah. There's that, saying that I, I might not be getting 100% accurately, but something on the lines of, you know, in the villain story, you know, the villain is the hero in their own story. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, he certainly is that that in this one. The uh, the only other thing that I have about this deleted scene, and I don't know if it's, a, if it's perhaps a reason that they chose to not use it, unless it's just because the monologue was just a very monologue-y speech. But the other thing that I was wondering is like, maybe it's because we do get to see the Ironmonger suit and they wanted to cut that out and keep that a little longer uh, from being shown. Uh, and that's the only other thing I could think of. Yeah, I'm looking at that part of the scene right now to see how much they reveal. Uh, hmm. I mean, you don't see the helmet. Um, I do like that the guys are welding and working while he's giving this big speech. It's like, yeah, I guess you know, <laughs> those three guys don't have to pay attention. They're, they just they have to keep working. Right. Um, you yeah, see, got a timeline here. Yeah. <laughs> you see the chest plate, but you, the the legs aren't attached. The helmet's not there. Um, but I mean, I guess you know it's pretty obvious what this is because of the big giant circle in the middle of the chest plate. It's clearly something that's attempting to replicate the Iron Man suit. Uh, right. So yeah, I, I could see that being a, a thing of let, let's let's hold this back. Let's not even give a a hint that this is what we're going to end up seeing. Right, right. 
because when we do get the reveal, it's a uh, it's not not uh, this week, but we will be getting it soon. It's a it's a nice reveal. It's it's nice the way that they kind of surprise us with that. Yeah. Other than the monologue, that's the uh, big thing that I'm like I I would I could say it makes sense to me that they wouldn't want to show that. So. So we go from here to uh, to Tony's house. We we end up leaving the scene after uh, uh, after William says, "I am not Tony Stark." Giving Obadiah kind of a the seed of an idea is kind of what's planted here. We cut to Tony casually walking uh, across his uh, living room, listening. Uh, he hears the phone and he uh, he finds it under a uh, fluffy pillow, picks it up, and sees that Pepper is calling. This is um, the first time we've seen him since he sent Pepper on on the mission to retrieve the shipping manifests from from the computers uh, at his office. And last time we saw him, he was still stuck in the basement working. So I'm guessing that he's kind of taking a break and popping upstairs for a minute and uh, is interrupted by the ringing phone, I guess. Right. I guess so. Yeah. Um, And I mean, the only real thing I have to say about this segment of the minute is I know uh, you are uh, are not allowed to uh, know anything that happens after this minute is over. Uh, but I know other guests have certainly made comments, so I'll, I'll keep that tradition. Sure, sure. <laughs> Considering what we're going to see happens in tomorrow's minute, I watched this part a bunch of times to see if there was any way of seeing the person that is also in the room with Tony right now that we don't know yet. Because... Like the first second of tomorrow's minute, we're going to see that person. And it's just, it's right. so well hidden that it's incredible that the way that the minutes, you know, were chopped up as you were cutting the movie up because this minute ends and you don't know, there's no inkling, but you start the next minute and it's immediately there. It's just, there's, I don't see a shadow or anything like that. It's, it's very uh, deliberately put together. I love the way that we get that shot when he's looking at the phone and answering it. His face, his head is, we're close on him, and he is completely on the left side of frame. Like, practically, you're, you're hardly getting any space between him and the edge of frame, which is a very strange way to frame a shot, frame a character, unless there is something that's about to happen, <laughs> which, uh, which I guess we'll have to wait till tomorrow to find out. But it is, it is interesting, though, and this is definitely going to be something to talk about tomorrow because this room is a big curve and it's all windows Mm -hmm. and then on the left we we don't see it so much in this minute but we've seen it before um just off screen left is a fireplace and then past the fireplace are a few steps that go up to the area where his piano was before he fell through it and uh to the right the wall continues for a little bit before there's another hallway and i i've never been able to tell in this room if any of these windows are like a sliding glass door I don't, or not a sliding glass door but a door that would open to that balcony outside the window but I don't think any of them are so I think it's just this big old panel of windows and this curved couch and it makes me think there's really only one place where somebody could be I guess we can speculate more <laughs> on that tomorrow it's such a it's such a funny setup that they have here but we'll we'll talk about that tomorrow I guess I had a few other notes um, uh, in this scene today. One, I, I know we've seen this room before, but for whatever reason, I don't know why it really struck me as I was looking at this wide shot here of the tree table that he has, like that polished piece of tree. Yeah. And I was like, it's, I mean, it has to be, I'm assuming a sequoia because it's so stinking big. 
And uh, I don't know. I don't know why it struck me as uh, kind of such an interesting table in this particular shot. Yeah. Uh, you know what it's reminding me of? Uh, I live in New York and uh, the Museum of Natural History, there's this gigantic section of a tree from like 1500 years ago that they have up on a wall that they've had since I was even a little kid there. And it's uh, it's reminding me of that. Uh, you know what? He bought uh, a Jackson Pollock earlier in the movie just because to stick it in storage, right? <laughs> so he, he bought a giant table that's made out of a tree just because. Just because. Exactly. Regardless, it looks cool. I love the look of that table. Yeah. I had a question here. Why at, at this moment does Pepper decide, I'm going to call him on the landline. I know we've established that this phone is sitting in this uh, on this table and in this area. Uh, we've seen it sitting here when Pepper was working up here watching Jim Cramer. But I don't know. I, I'm assuming, I mean, this is the the era of cell phones. I'm assuming Tony has one. I uh, thought it was strange that she calls the the landline. I, but, I mean, we've never established that he has a cell. Maybe he's just one of those guys who doesn't carry anything like that around, and, and so she's just calling him on this one. I can, I'm gonna, I can come up – I'm going to come up with two possible no-prize explanations for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of them would be playing off what you just said, that maybe he just has a phone like literally every 50 feet in the house, so he doesn't need a cell phone because <laughs> right. there's always one within reach. Or he does have his cell phone, but he accidentally left it down in the garage, and he came upstairs. She called the cell phone. He didn't answer, so she's trying the house phone. That's that. That's entirely possible. Um, I, I have a little bit of an, of an answer for this, but not for this minute. We'll we'll chat more about that. But it is it is a weird thing. I don't really get. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. And I actually, like your idea that you know he probably has phones all over the place you know it just it's lucky i guess for a certain somebody that this is the one that he goes toward <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've i've been in some very rich people's houses uh in the past in my life and i will say there are phones in every room including bathrooms so oh yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely possible well, let's. Uh, I guess we'll just uh, we'll go with that for now. That uh, this is just one of those, and he happens to be going to the one on the couch. <laughs> the other question that I had is: uh, we do see when he picks up the phone, the display, the lovely color display that the VTech phone has, showing a picture of Pepper, and it has her name on it as well. Pepper Potts calling. It did make me wonder: does he ever call her by her real name, or is Pepper pretty much? the perma name for her now because uh, Virginia is actually her name and I, like I, I assuming that she's kind of dropped that and Pepper is almost like become her official name um, as opposed to just a nickname. Yeah, I mean, I know in, in the comics she was Pepper. Nobody called her Virginia. I mean, I'm assuming that would that be popping up? Well, I guess it depends on where the, the name is coming from. Is it coming from her phone sending out what her name is or is it coming from him entering into the phone pepper if what i just said made any sense well no i i get it yeah it's and i guess that's a question i don't know like this old vtech technology from 2008 um is this something that he had to program in uh so that it would pop up when that particular phone number called or is it pulling that from her number when she calls right. i don't know right i don't know but um Either way, it, it did make me, it, I mean, it's it's kind of an inane question, I guess, because in the world of comics, I mean, Pepper Potts is pretty much her name. Um, Virginia, I think, was only ever used in her, that pinup that they actually did for her. 
and then, okay, so here's another question I have, and this is going to be something that we started speculating uh, when she uh, she when she meets Agent Coulson and when she's looking on Tony's computer. When she's on his computer, we see the the time signature up in the corner of the computer. It says it's 13.46 p.m. So we know that it's 1.46 in the afternoon, and that's when Stain interrupts her. So it's about 2 o'clock when she disappears with Agent Coulson, and uh, you know they're heading off to his office is basically what we've said. Based on the the darkness outside of the windows here, it, it's pretty twilight. I mean, you can you can see a little bit of the city, not much. I, I don't know if I'd call it complete night. I think it's probably just one of the later twilight bits. The Jim Cramer episode when he when Pepper's watching that that was May fourth, two thousand eight. We saw that uh, stamp on the show. So assuming that we're within a couple month window from when that happened, that means the sun is setting somewhere in Malibu between seven forty one and eight ten p.m. And then twilight runs about an hour. So she's calling him around eight or nine o'clock at night. What was she doing? With Agent Coulson, like what kind of debriefing was this? I, I would think that they would, she would say, this is what I just discovered. Let's make a beeline for the house and get Tony. What, I, this is such a strange plot uh, hole, I guess, I, that just it's frustrating for me. Did, is it something that you caught or it bugs you at all or? Am I making a big deal uh, of it? <laughs> well, listen, we wouldn't be minute by minute, movie by minute people <laughs> right. if we didn't make a big deal of it. Uh, I did not notice it, um, but yeah, it is strange because the whole movie has been her blowing off Coulson. So why would she suddenly do the debriefing with her now when she's got this information? I mean, it sh- I mean, the second he took the newspaper from her uh, and and you know said uh, I want to do the puzzle and walked away. I mean, she should have been on the phone with him immediately. Yeah. So I. I think it's just a continuity error. Yeah, it's it's something that I guess maybe they were trying to speed through the scenes to get it to be night. Um, mm. And they were trying to find a way to, we're, you know, we've got these scenes. They're going to be taking place at night. The big fight on the, on the highway. Uh, maybe it's just one of those things where they're like, this is going to be easier for us to do if it's dark rather than having these guys fighting in traffic during the day. I don't know what the logic is, but it certainly is one of those movie... Um, time jumps that kind of uh, shifts, and when you start paying attention to it, you're like, "Oh, it's a little, it's a little long." All of a sudden, we're going for about you know six or seven hours before she actually reaches back out to Tony. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think I can come up with a, an attempt at a no prize explanation for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. Well, I don't have anything else for this minute. We've got a lot to talk about tomorrow. Do you have any last thoughts? Uh, not for this minute. All right. Well, Eric, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm sure. Been been looking forward to it. Like I said, I'm a, a, a big fan, loyal listener of the show. Well, we certainly appreciate it. We certainly appreciate it. Oh, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you and uh, learn more about you and your shows? Sure. Uh, the My current uh, Movies by Minute podcast is Escape from New York. We have a fan group on Facebook, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. We're on Twitter, NY Minute Pod. Uh, you can find us anywhere that you get your podcasts, and uh, or you can go to growlermedia.com, uh, and we're on there. Uh, and I, uh, this is my second Movies by Minute podcast. I uh, completed also Flash Gordon Minute, and that's also available on Growler Media. That's also anywhere that you get your podcasts. And uh, I do still check the Facebook group for that. Uh, if so, if you're first finding out about that one and you're binging it, Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex on Facebook. The Listener's Vortex. I love it.
All right, everybody. Well, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. True believers.